Shall we begin? Let's begin now. Hi, this is Muffin McGraw, head coach at the University of Notre Dame, and you're listening to Dishin' and Squishin'. Hi, everybody. It's David Siegel, and after the Thanksgiving holiday and maybe doing a little Christmas shopping, we're back with another Dishin' and Squishin' podcast. You know, the college basketball season is really starting to roll now. There's been some great out-of-conference matchups. They're getting ready to really get into conference play. And it's always a pleasure to welcome ESPN's Debbie Antonelli to talk what she knows so well, and that is the game of basketball. Debbie, welcome back to Dishin' and Swishin'. David, thank you. I'm so pleased to have a chance to be on your show again. Well, it's always our pleasure to have you because you are one of those people that you know, you can talk about every facet of the game from the coaching side to the playing side to the broadcasting side and also to the administrative side as you run a couple of tournaments. So it's great to talk to you. Let's start with talking about what we just saw, and that was UConn versus Notre Dame this weekend. And, you know, it just looks like those teams are going to be at the top again as the season goes on. Notre Dame gave a great performance, but it looked to me like they ran out of gas from this big, huge road trip that they've been on. Well, first of all, I thought Notre Dame played really hard, and to have a 12-point lead going into the fourth quarter is exceptional for any team against UConn. Uh, however, UConn um, is not at 100%. Uh, neither is Notre Dame. I thought both teams played really hard, and Notre Dame's run might have been too early. If their run had been a little bit later, because uh, that allowed Connecticut to have time to make a run, uh, maybe the game could have been different. But we're having this conversation, and isn't it great that there's hope that maybe uh, somebody can beat UConn? And is that good or bad for the game? Well, I don't know. I think it's good for the game. That doesn't disrespect what Connecticut does. I think Connecticut is terrific. Now, I think that the, the, the win by Mississippi State last year uh, shattered that aura of invincibility, and I think that you're seeing it this year, too. Uh, the team, of course, is, is number one in the country and deserves to be there. But, you know, Notre Dame in particular, you know, but then again, Coach McGraw's teams never are intimidated by UConn, it seems. You know what, David? Connecticut is the best team. They have the most talent. The last time that Notre Dame beat UConn was in the 2013 Big East Tournament. I just happened to recently go back and look at that box score. Every player on Connecticut's team played in the WNBA. Okay, They're clearly the best program. They're the best team, and Geno is fastly approaching a 1,000 wins. Having said that, Muffet certainly has had the most success recently against them. I think in, in part because they run a very similar style. I think they, uh, they play a similar offense. I think you have two highly competitive, well-prepared coaches and teams. And it's great for the quality of the game. Uh, as we saw in Hartford, you know, on Sunday, it was fantastic. Now I saw the second half. I was traveling, didn't see the first half, but um, you know, that's great when we have that kind of quality of play at this time of the year. You know, one thing I wanted to talk about, so we might as well do it here since it comes into play, is, you know, the the transfer rules and how the NCAA has not been, to our knowledge, consistently applying what what counts as a waiver and what doesn't. Of course, we don't know all the details behind any of these things, but it really seemed kind of surprising that Jessica Shepard was given her eligibility immediately 
after she had stayed an extra year at Nebraska, I, you know, I could have understood if they had, if she had left right away, perhaps giving it to her. But it just seemed kind of strange that they gave her that opportunity when there's so many others that are sitting out a year. You know, and clearly Notre Dame needs her this year with because of the injuries that they've suffered. There is no question, and I 100% agree with you. However, you're right. We don't know all the detail of why. But I will say, in the ACC, Florida State has also had uh, the ability to get players eligible. Shatrice White is an exactly uh, perfect example to what Jess Shepard experienced. Okay, We don't know why, but they both stayed an extra year after there were issues at their school, and then they left. And they should have been sitting out, but somehow they became eligible. So if you're in the ACC and you reside in that conference and you see Florida State get Shatrice White eligible – under whatever circumstances which we don't know, then Jeff Shepard would be eligible under whatever circumstances that we don't know. It's in the same conference. I don't know how you could deny one one team in that conference over another. Now, eligibility is supposed to be one of the primary responsibilities of the NCAA, and you're right, David, we don't know why players are eligible and why they're not. We may never know unless you hear rumors, but that's not something that, we're privy to in the media as to why a kid is eligible here and why a kid is not eligible over there. You know, now, you know, South Carolina is planning on putting in a waiver attempt for the second semester for Taya Cooper. And, you know, that that's, you know, the equivalent of a baseball team making a move at the trading deadline to get that kind of talent if, in fact, they do it and she gets granted eligibility for the second semester. You know, it does it – does, uh, affect the balance of power throughout the country when they do this? There's no question. And as you know, there's legislation right now in front of the uh, coaches in NCAA about making allowing players to be eligible immediately upon transfer, regardless of the situation. Now, that to me would be free agency. Uh, I, I can't imagine that that's going to pass, nor do I think that would be good for the game for anybody. But, you know, the graduate transfer rule was put in place to allow students that couldn't uh, complete a master's degree at their current institution because it w- the, what they wanted to master in wasn't uh, offered and they were allowed to transfer, have a fifth year at another place for immediate eligibility. Um, that was put in place for education. But that rule is not being used for educational purposes. As we see across men's and women's college basketball, uh, it's being used for competition. So I don't I don't have the answers for that, and I've not been in discussions about that. But that's what it looks like on the surface. So I really don't have a good answer for you on why people are eligible and why they're not. Well, you know, let's talk about what's going on on the court again. And there's been some great games and some great basketball played already this year. You know, it's it's always great when you see teams like South Carolina playing you know, against a Notre Dame and Louisville playing against, you know, an Ohio State and such. You know, it, a lot of these, though, come in tournaments. You know, they're the holiday tournaments or the preseason in Columbus this year, uh, of which I know that you are one of the administrators of the Play for K in Vegas and also the uh, the, the tournament being held at Florida Gulf Coast every every winter. What seems to be lacking in a lot of these is coverage. And that's something that's been a bit of a sticking point with fans and such. 
you know, as an administrator, I know you obviously want to get as much publicity for your events as possible. So, so what can we do about trying to get, you know, either free streams or ESPN or somebody else to cover these instead of just, you know, the the other streams that cost a whole bunch of money to see one or two games. Right. Um, well, I can tell you that our team with BD Global and the two events that we're responsible for, uh, we have tried and we have efforted very, um, very hard to try to find somebody that would be willing to carry our at least our championship games. You know, as someone who follows Connecticut closely, that in the second year of the Gulf Coast Showcase, UConn played in our event down in Naples, and they brought their own TV crew, and they televised all three of the games that they played in uh, on, on that um, in that event, which we were great because everyone got to see, you know, our event and and see the quality of the teams that we have in our events. Uh, we just have to keep trying to find the right mix. I will say this, um, you know, ESPN creates a lot of events on the men's side at that time of the year, and those are all televised. It is still college football. Finding a place to stick the games is always uh, seems to be the sticking point, not whether people want to televise them or not. It's where would they put the inventory. And so that seems to be what we get back from the networks that we've approached about trying to carry our championship games. And, you know, we've had really good championship games. This year in Vegas, it was Ohio State and Stanford playing for a second time, and that game went to overtime, and then, you know, in the Gulf Coast Showcase in Fort Myers, we had South Carolina and Notre Dame playing for the championship. So we're really proud of the events that we've put together, the quality of teams, the high RPI, the, the, the need that there was for these kinds of events in the States. And now the next step is, you know, trying to get someone to grab a hold of it and, and televise it. We're trying. We just haven't been able to find the right match yet or yeah. someone that's willing. Yeah, they – always have tournaments in Mexico, Bahamas, Bermuda. You know, it seemed because of the because of course the natural disasters we had, things were held in the United States this year, but it seemed to have a a lot more interest and coverage being in this country instead of, you know, being held out of the country. Uh is that something that you think that these tournaments should be looking at for the future is maybe staying in the United States? Because, you know, even if it was just on social media and all, there just seemed to be so much more coverage and more interest in those tournaments this year. You know what, David? It's great that there's more interest in women's hoops all across the board. I can't speak to the other um, tournament promoters and and the events that they run and the places that that they run their events. I can just tell you that watching the Gulf Coast Showcase evolve and watching the Play for K evolve, are two for me cross off the bucket list, um, you know, helping grow the game because the way those events came about is Brooks Downing, who runs BD Global, is a former intern with me at the University of Kentucky way back, you know, when the you know, way back, I hate to even say how long ago <laughs> it was, but he and I have been friends and uh, colleagues for a long time. And uh, he was running all these events on the men's side, and I said, we need these kinds of events in the United States, high RPI, good quality competition, and good officiating. Because sometimes you go to those events over in, in other countries and you don't, you don't always get uh, Division One officials on those games. So I, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've been able to do. Um, I, I 100% agree, you know, when 
Uh, my Twitter was lighting up when Notre Dame and South Carolina were playing. Where can we see it? Why do we have to pay the subscription? You know, what what is you know the situation? And I'm 100% with everybody. You, you're damn right. We're trying. We want the games on. We're trying to get them televised. So we're just going to keep putting the event together and keep building and doing our part and and efforting to bring the very best of women's college basketball together and and hope that we'll eventually find someone that will partner with us. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on. And, you know, of the teams that you've seen so far this year, you know, there's the Mississippi State. We talked about, we mentioned Louisville, Texas, uh, South Carolina, of course. Which of these teams has shown you more than you expected? What has been your take on some of these top teams this year? Well, let me start with South Carolina first, because I know this is going to be hard to believe coming off a championship year. I think they're better. I don't know if this will result in another championship for them, but I watched them play, and they're an easier watch to me than the national championship team. And let me let me frame it this way. They have better team speed. The ball moves. And I think Jennings is a better complement to Asia Wilson than what Elena Coates was. And I say that because... Jennings could be the best offensive rebounder in the country. As a matter of fact, she should aspire to be that. She is all over the offensive glass. She's big and strong. She can pull away from the bucket. She's got a move from the high post. She even had a little jab step and a floater in the game against Duke. Now, she didn't make it, but just to think that she could attempt that move. She's the perfect complement to Asia Wilson. That front line is big and strong and powerful. That South Carolina team, to me, is really better than I thought they were going to be, considering all that they lost, three first-round WNBA picks. So let me start with them. Secondly, Notre Dame, to me, Jess Shepard's eligibility changes everything for them. Brianna Turner is a terrific defensive player, great at blocking shots, protecting the rim, rebounding. But she was a player on the offensive end that primarily scored on putbacks and drop-offs meaning on the block, over her left shoulder, offensive rebound, put back. Jess Shepard is a pick-and-pop stretch who can score outside the arc, who can score in the high post, who is a very good passer and facilitator. And right now, when you watch their team play, now Marina Mabry played the best game that she's played all season. But up to this point, she has been the fourth offensive option, and that's a compliment to, to Marina and to everyone else that Arike, Jackie Young has improved that much, and Jess Shepard brings that kind of offensive skill set to what Muffet McGraw likes to run. For Mavery to be the fourth offensive option, they're better this year than they were last year. So those are two teams to start with, David. Well, those are two teams that are very strong, that's for sure. Uh, I was I was surprised a little bit that Jackie Young seemed she seemed to have her one intimidated game against UConn yesterday uh, she has been phenomenal and she's one of my favorite players to watch but she just seemed you know a little bit taken aback by the situation yesterday and I'm sure that that won't happen very often for for someone with that kind of skill level uh, you know what, let's talk about some individuals uh, everybody had talked that you know saw Asia Durr at the start of the season uh, Asia Wilson has been playing phenomenal ball. Uh, who else are some of the players that have jumped out at you that you've seen so far this year? Well, I mean, aren't there six 
Connecticut players on the Naismith <laughs> list. This I mean, is, this is that's true. never happened. It's unprecedented as far as I know. And, you know, I have some responsibility in um, in that list. Uh, so, you know, it's always impressive what Connecticut does, how hard they play, how well they execute. I did get to go watch practice end of October. And I'm always so impressed with the transition game and the game speed that they execute every single piece of their game planning. Not everybody does that. And, and while I was there, there was another team, actually the exhibition team, that they were the game that they were playing, was watching practice with their full staff. And I think that's just really interesting. And it's a credit to Coach Oriema who allows anybody, almost anyone, to come and watch practice who wants to. And we say this every year. Why don't more people go up there and watch? If you're not, if you're, if you're not going to make discipline and execution a part of what you do on a daily basis, then don't go watch Connecticut because they run a lot of the same sets. Everybody runs the same stuff. Their personnel is obviously better. Um, but it's how hard they play. It's not what they do. It's the emphasis and the consistency of it. That's pretty much impressive to me. So you take all six of those UConn players, and there's a reason why they're all on the Naismith list. Okay? Uh, Kelsey Mitchell is a player that you, you always have to have a conversation about because she is approaching the NCAA Division I scoring record, and she's, she's starting to do so. Um, I think that's really impressive that we're in a time where, as you know, because you know we've talked about this a lot, I care about offense. It's why people watch our games. We have great offensive players in women's college basketball. We don't have enough of them, but the ones that we have that stand out are really good, unique, different, work hard, and score. You know, I mean, I'm doing two things right now. I'm going hashtag ticket-selling player. Okay, who would you buy a ticket to go see? Okay, Connecticut goes on the road. You're buying tickets to go see those players. Okay, they're great. Okay, Asia Wilson and South Carolina go on the road. You are buying a ticket to go see Asia Wilson play. She is unique and different than anything we have in women's college basketball. Kelsey Mitchell, you are buying a ticket, right? Absolutely. Okay, so that's part of my push for offense this year is hashtag ticket selling player. The other is hashtag D. Nelly scouting report. D. Nelly, many people don't know, is my rapper name. You probably didn't know I've written some rap songs, right, David? I'm telling you, you know, you are truly a <laughs> renaissance woman. <laughs> D. Nelly is a nickname that I have. I'm just, I mean, I have written some basketball-related things, only uh, we're not even going to talk about it. But um, I'm, I'm just efforting to... To help grow our game, that's that's what I'm doing. I mean, that's what everybody should be doing. We we all have a stake in it, you know. I mean, we've got some really good, offensive, talented, well prepared, well put together teams. We need to be celebrating those. We do. We really want parity. We don't. We're not even talk talk about that. The, and the men's game, the same teams keep showing up at the top. No one questions the parity there. Okay, in the women's game, like we just said, okay, South Carolina, Notre Dame, and UConn look like they're going to be back. All right. Who else? 
Might there be room for somebody new? Yes, there's always room for, for new teams. But if you if you look at the way the polls are and the voting and how it takes place, there's a lot of opinions out there about who people think are the really good teams. It's going to be a really fun NCAA tournament and a really fun uh, regular season because outside of Connecticut, I'm not sure that, um, you know, they're, they're clearly going to win their race. But uh, the rest of the, the power leagues, I don't know. It's up for grabs. It's a lot of fun this year. And there's also a lot of individuals, like you mentioned, you know, the person that you're going to buy tickets for. You know, you look at some of these teams. You know, Baylor's got probably the best one-two, the best big combination uh, that I've seen in the country. You look at Oregon, and I don't know if there's a more fun team to watch than the way that they've been playing. You know, UCLA with the pair of seniors that are phenomenal. You know, there, there are so many of these exciting players and exciting teams that need to be seen and need to be shared, which, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, you, with the inclusion of the SEC network and Pac-12, and you know, hopefully people will watch these games and see them. Because, you know, if you don't see, you know, Florida State, for example, this year, you know, that that's a team that is a blast, and Shaq Thomas is one of the best players and most fun players to watch. I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm with you on, on all of that. There's a lot of fun teams to keep your eye on, and they're fun because they can score. We need to continue to push offense, and I'm always going to be a big proponent of that, and I'm not going to – that doesn't mean that I don't care about defense. I think there's this misnomer out there. And I always like to say the irony of that is I am the chair of the National Defensive Player of the Year. So while I'm constantly pushing offense, I do care a little bit about defense, but not enough to make that a part of the platform that I try to – or the lens that I try to get other people to look at our game through. Well, let me ask you one question then as we go to wrap this up. Now that we have a WNBA team in Las Vegas – are we that much closer to the Final Four being stationed there like you've been preaching for several years? Seven years and counting, um, yes. And the WNBA doesn't have a lot to do with my argument about why the Sweet 16 should be there. However, it does enhance the fact that Vegas is a vibrant basketball city. Uh, you know, countless numbers of times we've talked about this, David, you know, now uh, there's a hockey team there. The Raiders are going there. The WNBA at the Play for K uh, in the Mandalay Bay. I can tell you this, that that's where we held our Play for K tournament. Mandalay Bay is going to be where the WNBA franchise will be. They are investing over $6 million in renovating and upgrading that facility, which is fine the way it is right now. But the LED boards will go in. They're going to take the seats out and put new seats in. The back of the house is going to be renovated for locker rooms. The WNBA is coming, is signage that is all over the casino in Mandalay Bay. It's going to be an exciting time for the W. It's exciting for all of basketball. The, w, the NBA has resided in Vegas, and USA Basketball has been there a long time. So when I, when I look at are we closer to getting the Sweet 16 concept to Vegas there, yes, every day I think we get closer. All it's going to take is or one of the things it's going to take is the Council of Presidents puts the item on its agenda. And if you're aware of what's happening today, today is the, the day where arguments start in the Supreme Court over the whole um, 
you know, New Jersey versus uh, the federal government on the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act. And uh, we don't have time to go into all that, but if anybody looked that up, they could see that, uh, you know, Adam Silver has been a proponent of sports betting. Um, there are uh, other professional franchises that are trying to find ways to legalize and to monetize, I should say, monetize fantasy sports, which our culture has changed significantly. So um, I know we don't have much time to go into the whole thing, but I can tell you right now that I have not had one coach, nor have I had one member of the sports media, nor have I had one fan say to me, this is a bad idea, we shouldn't do it. As a matter of fact, I get the exact opposite. When can we do it? How can we help? What do you need us to do? What do you want me to do? And so I've got several pieces of strategy that I'm working on out there, but I've laid the groundwork for a lot of things. And, David, I will tell you this because I want everybody to know. I'm going to put this in quotes because this has happened. Quote, we have had a site visit already at T-Mobile Arena. Quote. Nice. Very nice. Let's see what happens. It'll be interesting to see how how, how fast this progresses because we know once things start gathering ahead of steam, we know what goes on from there. Well, Debbie, I want to thank you for taking time today to talk about the game and everything that you've got going on. You are truly one of the ambassadors of women's basketball, and we are lucky to have someone with the heart, drive, and dedication that you have towards the game. And for that alone, I thank you. Well, David, thank you. It's kind of you to say that, but I feel like I'm one piece of the team. There's a lot of people out there that are stakeholders like yourself that are trying to do the best thing to give young women the opportunity to showcase their skills at the highest level because that's what it's really about. It's about the players, and it's about these young women having an opportunity. And the more opportunities that that we strive and push for for them, the better the chances are going to be for them down the road, and that's what we all really want. I agree completely. Again, thank you very much, and it's always great to talk to you. Hey, you're a winner, David. Keep doing what you're doing. I'll see you soon.